Hey guys, welcome to the Youth Fitness Podcast. Topics on youth fitness with a focus on doing what's best for kids. Brought to you by the Martin Family, the developers of the Brand X Method, and the Athlete Coach Network. Youth need great coaches now more than ever. Brand X has dedicated themselves to doing what is best for kids for over two decades and now offers mentoring, education, programming, and resources in one smart package to empower coaches to efficiently deliver world-class youth programs. Check out their plug and play options and join the Brand X family today. You plus Brand X equals youth program success. here for another episode of the Youth Fitness Podcast, and we have a special guest today, Mr. Paul Tyson of Tyson Law. And Paul, can you help introduce yourself and talk about how we met? I sure can. Thank you for having me, Jeff and Mickey. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Paul Tyson. I'm the owner of Paul Tyson Law. It's a law firm in uh, Chandler, Arizona. Kind of how I got to, and I guess the areas I, I primarily practice in is, is personal injury. I do a lot of the automobile type cases. And also I have a, a specific practice in sports and fitness injuries, which is you know part of the topic of what we're going to get into. But just a little bit of, of my background. I uh, started off way back in the day as an insurance adjuster. So I, I as a young age, kind of started to getting into analyzing risk and kind of had a, how to handle that aspect of, of, of a personal injury claim. Went to law school, and in law school, I saw a guy one day kind of doing really weird stuff on, on the pull-up bar and looked like kind of a fish out of water sort of thing. So I asked him what he was doing, and he goes, well, this is a thing called CrossFit. And at that point, it's like 2000, early 2006, I think late 2005. So there obviously wasn't very big at that point. And I told him, oh, Interesting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to be an FBI agent. That was kind of the whole purpose of why I went to law school. And he started telling me about, about CrossFit. So I started getting into it and I just, I just got it active with it and started increasing my fitness and, and I took an interest in it. So fast forward, I, I went to graduate law school, moved back from Sacramento where I went to law school to Arizona and went back to my insurance company and then accepted my first position as an insurance defense lawyer, where I represented businesses or individuals that caused injury, did that for about six years, and then finally transitioned over to the personal injury side of things. And I still do a lot of legal work for, for businesses, especially in the fitness industry as well. So how I met Jeff and Mickey is I was walking my dog, listening to the, to the Ready State podcast, and it may have been the Mobility Wad podcast at that point, I can't remember. And I was listening to, to Jeff and Miss Mickey talk to Kelly and uh, uh, Juliet about training kids. And my daughters at that point were like probably seven, eight, and, and a little bit younger. And I really liked what Jeff and Mickey had to say. And I was familiar with, with who they were from back in the earlier days of when I was in really in the CrossFit scene. I really enjoyed, I really, it really resonated how they, they were talking to me or talking to Kelly and Juliet about training kids. And so I, I sent Jeff an email, I guess, or a text. I'm sorry, is a message to the website is what it was, expressing my interest in wanting to learn more about Brand X. 
And so Jeff and I, uh, this is probably what, three years ago, four years ago, Jeff? Probably three years ago. Three yeah, years maybe, ago. Maybe almost four. Yeah. 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 So you reached back out to me and we kind of, you know, established a relationship at, at that point. And, and it's kind of blossomed to where it is, where it is now. And we're very much of the same philosophy and mindset with fitness, youth fitness, things of that sort. Yeah, we're lucky to now we live close enough that we can meet up for lunch and margaritas and things. So. Right, right. <laughs> you know, safe margaritas. Right. Safe <laughs> yeah, we got to come over and work with your daughter and a couple of her friends recently. That was fun. And forward to some more of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's gonna be a fun project. Right. So we have a couple of questions for you. Paul, this is our U18, so we probably won't be able to spend a lot of time and, and more, most likely we'll touch on some things we'll want to come back for to do a deeper dive on. But the first one we were thinking is how can we help people, our listeners who are out there running gyms and, and all the information that they get? And the first question coming out of that idea is what are the two most common mistakes from your perspective that trainers make that might expose them to liability in a gym? Yeah, of course. Great question. So the first, the first thing that I think any sort of gym owner, you know, whether it's the owner, the manager of the gym to any sort of fitness coach or instructor and, and, and the manager and owner teaching that instructor and coach is a very kind of important way to look at what it is that he or she is doing. There is definitely an inherent risk of personal injury from any physical activity. You know, it's from running down the sidewalk to stepping off a curb to picking up any sort of heavy object. There is an inherent risk of, of personal injury. You cannot completely avoid that. But the role of the gym to the fitness coach is to lower or mitigate that inherent risk of personal injury. And so through, through that process, you know, through that education experience, making reasonable and prudent decisions does lower the risk. And on the flip side is to avoid doing things that increase that inherent risk of personal injury. So, so for myself as a personal injury lawyer, I'm looking for those items. So the biggest mistakes that I can see that instructors make is, especially when you're dealing with a vulnerable population like, like youth, is having him or her, the youth athlete, do things that are risky, that increase that risk of personal injury because they saw it on Instagram and some other little kid is doing it. And, you know, one of the, one of the classic examples you see some of the other people on Instagram do is just like, hey, they're doing, you know, working on a BOSU ball and they're doing one-legged snatches with kettlebells. It's just, there, there's no point behind that. It's just you're, in, you're inviting injury from occurring. So that, that, again, is, is having the youth athlete do something that increases that risk of personal injury. Can I ask you a question about that, Paul? Of course. So risk is a topic that's really important in youth training because one of the things we see with kids lately or kids recently in the last decade is this lowering of risk, like a layman's term, lowering of risk. So parents protecting their kids so much that they never take risks and they never learn from those risks. So when you're talking about risks, what do you, what, I guess, can you uh, tell the difference between like, as a fitness coach, I want to teach a kid to climb a rope. You know, 
that may scare the child, make them, you know, they, they see that as a risk. Is that the kind of risk you're talking about, or are you talking about other types of risk? Yeah, is such there, as maybe a, leaving a child alone in the gym while you go and do something in the office. Is, is there a risk-reward equation right. sort of that a trainer could use? Well, this has a good, like you mentioned, the BOSA ball. This has a good training effect, and it's such a good training effect, and I can mitigate any of the potentials for risk there but still allow that training effect. So, because obviously we, you said any, you know, exercise, any walking down the street, stepping off the curb, those things have inherent risk. And as trainers, that means we're playing in that field, which is we are. So it's mitigation, mitigation, but also risk reward. Correct. Yeah. And definitely is a, like using the, the, the example of the rope climb, Jeff, and you see that like any, any parent who's had it, their kid in, in gymnastics center, right? You see the kids climbing rope. The question is, is like how much training, at what level is the kid starting to climb the rope? I mean, if it's the first time he or she is there and they've never done it before and you're having them climb a, a 12 foot rope and all you have below is a hard rubber surface, is that, <laughs> is that mitigating the risk of injury? Absolutely not. That's increasing the risk. So why not have hey, a kid that's been training at a, at, a, at a facility for, let's say, six months, you have them do you know, three or four poles with a thick mat below. Now they're developing the strength and other physical traits that go into that particular movement while mitigating the risk because if he or she falls, they're going to land on a soft, softer pad. And then they're not going to fall from such a height that it increases, that it's going to cause serious injury. So it's just little steps like that is looking, projecting forward is, and thinking, am I lowering the risk of injury by doing X, Y, Z, or am I increasing that risk? That's really what I was looking for was can they project forward and see where those things are going? And then would you say, this is my big softball question, would you say that having uh, education and use specific training would be a help to looking forward and seeing those things. Well, absolutely. I mean, if I'm a personal injury attorney and I'm taking a deposition of, of a coach and I'm, I'm, I'm getting into his or her background, what sort of experience and education do they have? And what did that education entail? Did it have a risk liability mitigation component to that training? A lot of training programs, especially some in-house stuff, really doesn't because it's all about performance or aesthetics. It's not focusing on client or member safety. And the other pressure you see is also parents. Parents want to push, 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 push to get a kid to, to do a certain skill or activity without having that foundation to where the kid can perform that movement or that skill safely. Right? So that the coach who has that training can push back on the parent. And again, I know the parent's the paying customer, but you need to think about the business, not just a specific individual who may be paying for private lessons, for example. So I kind of I kind of answered the question, but kind of circa kind of went off on a little bit of on a tangent, but I thought it was important. There are so many variables. And I think one of the things that we find cons- consistently is that people don't see the youth business differently than they see an adult business. And they don't think about those things. Like there's parents pushing. There's this 
whole extra entity that you have to think about in every level of youth training and the youth business itself because their parents and sometimes even extended family. You know, we've had people show up into our lobby with six adults and the two children mm -hmm. and there's grandpa and aunts and uncles and they all came in because they all want to see what's going on. Um, and they all have expectations and might show up at different times pushing or asking, why, why is my child not doing this thing? So it, it definitely plays in. Sure, there, I'm sorry, John. Your number, one, your number one most common mistake is risk mitigation. And you help that by projecting forward as a trainer. Yeah, thinking what is the repercussions of doing X, Y, Z? And number two, your second common mistake is I, I you know it all kind of ties into the same thing is the the progression right the proper exercise progression is here and here's a great example that just is a very recent one my my young daughter she's able to do gymnastics i don't know where she got it from because that's like my least skilled area and she was able to do a flip throw but with the ball on the ground and so she wanted to learn the flip throw with the ball in her hand, but that requires balancing kind of into a, like a, a brief handstand on a ball on the ground to be able to execute that particular movement. So I started looking at coaches and one of the, one of, and I was just doing a Facebook search on tumbling coaches and one mom had had a post and said, Hey, I want to teach my daughter a back handspring within two weeks or three weeks. I mean, some really small amount of time. And this particular fitness coach got tagged by a parent and he responded, your kid's not going to learn this two to three weeks, at least safely that I need to teach the proper progression to execute the movement. So it's done safely and effectively long-term. Yeah, you can shortcut it by teaching bad some bad habits, and she may be able to do it, but is it safe? No. I hired that guy because of his response. And also another parent saying how amazing the guy was. But that, that goes to show that, and it kind of ties back to the earlier statement I had, it's progression, the proper exercise progression for a kid, especially because they're so vulnerable and inexperienced in something, is how he or she in the long run is going to get better. And then guess what? It also mitigates the risk of injury by doing so. And that also ties in about the parent being kind of pushy to do certain things within an unreasonable and unrealistic time frame. So progression and projecting forward on that risk. They all kind of tie together to the to the same aim. I love the idea of Paul uh, Dice showing up at a gym, gymnastics place saying, hi, I'm a personal injury lawyer. I want you to teach my daughter how to do a flip <laughs> with a ball in her hand. <laughs> I did. I told, I told the guy what I, I do. Know, <laughs> I know. I know you. And I think this is what, what I you see the, uh, the, the uh, gymnastics coach's head going like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? His credit, the guy's so confident and he does things the right way. He didn't, didn't even phase him. He actually liked no. it. I was talking to him about this stuff. That's fantastic. That's, it is fantastic. Three-minute warning? Yeah, three-minute warning. So our next question, and I know we're moving on, and there's probably so many deep dives on these things, are Are there some best practices with youth that all trainers should be aware of that we haven't already touched on? Well, no, we haven't already touched upon them. Again, I think any best practice 
is going to operate under the prism or kind of that philosophy I just mentioned, right? Is lowering the risk of injury and avoiding doing things that increase that risk. And so I think best practices are, are going to kind of fit within that philosophy. At least that, that's my opinion of as a personal injury attorney and the, what I look for. So again, with vulnerable, young, inexperienced populations, it is incremental progression. Is two is assessing where that particular kid is at that moment when he or she joins your program, right? Because you can't know how to progress a kid if you don't know where he or she is starting from. And the third thing is stay away from the shiny objects. Don't go, hey, speed and agility for a nine-year-old. Guess what? They don't have the strength to really get speed. They need to build that foundation. And so I know the shiny object kind of sells parents and, and things of that sort, especially parents that are inexperienced, but do things the right way. Don't, don't market for short-term gain. The long-term reputation you're going to develop from a program that teaches kids the right thing the right way is what's going to benefit your business in the long run. I promise you that. I think that that follows too, the, the, the brand X philosophy of base build boost teaching a child how to control their own body and space before we start to do, you know, anything that's uh, increasing load, increasing complexity, increasing volume, you know, all of those things increasing. But I think that there's a, there's a pathway there that is ultimately extremely safe for teaching movement. I think, I think we're close to our ta- our 18 minutes, but I, I want to say that we'd love to have you back so we dive into the, the Safe Sport Act information. And we have a recent partnership with Players Health, which does background checks and abuse training, which is amazing. So kind of that whole area of how we can protect kids in that the, the other way, which is from you know, creepy people, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, from anything from physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And again, that's, and that all ties into the, to the risk mitigation as well. Yeah. There's a lot to cover in this field. A lot. Would you, uh, would you come back again? Oh, absolutely. This, the, the 18 minutes went too fast. I, yeah. It does, doesn't it? Awesome. That's good. Hopefully it's uh, just enough to give people some information and come back for more. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That was the Youth Fitness Podcast, Topics on Youth Fitness with Focus on Doing What's Best for Kids, brought to you by the Martin family, the developers of the Brand X Method and the Athlete Coach Network. We hope you guys enjoyed that episode and you listen for more.